what's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This episode is brought to you by 78 Sports. 78 Sports is a new sponsor to Ahead of the Curve, and I am extremely excited about it. If you're a baseball coach and you're not familiar with 78 Sports, then you need to be. The guys there are a full design, supply, and installation team that does it all for baseball coaches and facilities. Whether you're looking to get new hitting mats, replace some L screens, put up a new batting cage, or even design a brand new indoor facility, the 78 Sports team has you covered for it all. As an exclusive offer for our podcast listeners, 78 Sports is offering special pricing on your order when you mention Ahead of the Curve. Give them a call today at 844-478-TURF to get your order started. You can also check them out on their website at www.78sports.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, the number eight, sports.com. On today's show, we have on Troy Gerlach, head baseball coach at Chaparral High School in Phoenix, Arizona. Troy spent 13 years as an assistant, six in high school, and seven years collegiately, and has spent the last 10 years as a head coach, seven at Arcadia High School in Phoenix, Arizona, and he just finished his third year at Chaparral High School in Scottsdale, Arizona. He is also a member of Team USA and has been so since 2012. In 2018, he was the 15U National Team Assistant Coach and they won gold at the World Championships in Panama. And in 2022, he is the 12U National Team Assistant Coach and will compete for gold in Taiwan at the World Championships in August. On the show, we discuss his vision for the program when he took over. We go over some of his standards and non-negotiables, and we spend a ton of time on communication with players in the preseason, in season and go over player development meetings. You're going to love this episode with Troy Gerlach. Troy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So I am excited to get to talk with you today. And, uh, you know, I, I, my first question, I guess, you know, we, we go back a few years ago when you got the head coaching job. Uh, but I, I love uh, just to know what like people's first steps are. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about the interview process and as, as nerve wracking as that can be, there's a lot of stuff uh, that's out there already, but I want to know, like, you know, what were the, the first 100 days like when you got the job, you know, what was, what was the vision that you had and what were some things that you wanted to implement right away that kind of, you know, set the tone for how you wanted to run the program? Right. Yeah. I mean, when I got the job, you know, Chaparral, you know, everybody knows, you know, who they are and, you know, the tradition that the program has had in the past. I mean, we've mm-hmm. 10 state championships and like 27 or 28 region championships. I mean, it's this foundation has been set and that tradition is there. And it's, you know, and when you get the job, you kind of, you know, it's kind of awestruck to start with, you know, and then okay. once I got my feet wet and got everybody, you got to know everybody and all that stuff. My first goal was, you know, just to build those relationships with those seniors. I mean, I was their fourth coach in four years. Um, you know, a lot of turmoil going on, you know, changes every year, you know, and I just wanted to come in and kind of set the settle everybody down and get the ship pointing in the right direction. And, you know, really like the first hundred days, you know, I was meeting with the seniors individually and kind of laid out my plan and, you know, wanted to get their buy-in because I knew, because it was a talented group, and if I could get their buy-in on what we were going to try to do in the program, it would turn around real quick. Because I told them that wasn't a rebuild; this was get the ship back on the on the tracks and let's go, let's cool. go win a state championship. And you know, it was just building those relationships with them was the big thing, and you know, getting to know them, let them get to know me, and you know, and it wasn't anything about you know, get your foot down, stay behind the baseball, get your glove out. It was none of that. It was sure. It was more just you know, talking to the kids and building that relationship that, you know, and that trust that, you know, the program needs. No, I really like that. And, you know, I, I think the listeners know, uh, my thought process and, and I've never been a head coach and, and obviously I would, I would like that someday, but you know, I, I have thought about this question every time I've asked it. And I think one of the, the interesting things that, that I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this would be something that's different uh, but like in your situation, if you're going into a program that's, that has had success, you don't want to say, especially to, well, regardless of the program that you go into, the seniors don't want to go total rebuild because it feels like you're neglecting like their class. And right. I, I love hearing that you did that. 
But I would also like to know, so this was my thought process of, hey, what do they have already that we want to keep? Like, what are some of the traditions that they've really enjoyed that have helped them to be successful that they want to keep? Because, you know, when, when I'm the new guy or when you're the new guy that's coming in, we already have all of these things that we want to try and implement. But right. I don't, you don't want to neglect some of the things that they feel, you know, that feel special to them and help them to feel part of the program. Was, was there any conversations like that? And I, I would love to just hear uh, what their feedback was with those meetings in regards to that. Um, no, I mean, no, not really. I mean, you know, Coach Jerry Dawson, you know, was there for 37 years. Okay. And then and then Sam Messina came in, was there for, I think, 10 years. And then once Sam left, there was, you know, a coach was there for a year and a half, a new coach, another coach. And it was like, you know, you had two coaches for the first 45 years of the program and now you got sure. three new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, and when I moved out to Arizona in 2003, you know, I got a job at Arcadia as an assistant coach who played Chaparral. So you, I, I learned real quick what the traditions were and, you know, the alumni and, you know, all the big leaguers that have come through there. And it was, you know, just talking to the seniors and just kind of like letting them know that I'm not here to change what's happened at Chaparral. Mm-hmm. I'm going to build sure. on it and continue to bring the alumni back and get everybody to, to be more of a, like a family type atmosphere versus, you know, 25, 26 individuals trying to play the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, you know, and then COVID hit. So we really didn't get to see that through oh, with yes. that group, but, um, but no, that, that, those seniors, I mean, it was, it was, I was very honest with them and told them, you know, this is how I do things. And, this is what I expect from you guys. And, you know, and if you're not on board, you know, we're going to, we'll have to move on without you because we're going to get this going the right way. And I need you guys to buy in. And I think me putting that out there, not, and telling like, this is not a dictatorship, but this is, we're a family. We're going to do this together. Mm -hmm. I think they really bought into that. And, you know, we were, we had a great start before COVID shut us out, but, um, you know, so it was, you know, it wasn't like I was trying to build, you know, Chaparral up. It was already there. It's just trying to get it back on track and, you know, build on that, you know, tradition that the program's already had. Sure. No, and I, I think, you know, a couple of points to that. I think, I lo- first off, I love the idea. Second off, I think that it takes you uh, not, not having a ton of ego to admit that too, because it's like, okay, we had this guy who was here for, for 40 years and this guy who was here for another 10 years, the success has been here and I'm trying to build to that. I think that they, that they saw that and they went, okay, okay. Like I, I, like I can, I can relate to this guy. This guy's human. He's not like a robot, which I, I think is fantastic. And you also mentioned that you had some non-negotiables. And so I would love to hear, you know, what were those? And, uh, you know, you talk about rules or standards, non-negotiables, sometimes they're interchangeable. But take us through what those are. Uh, I don't have a lot of rules, you know, per se, you know, with with thing because, you know, a lot of what we want to do is I want these guys to play fearless. I don't, I don't. If they make a mistake, I want them making it aggressive and and to, to build on that. And I think if you have a lot of rules and a, a lot of stuff, it kind of boxes them in. They're afraid to be themselves, and and that was hard for me to learn. You know, because when I was a younger coach, I had all this stuff that we had to do. You know, because we wanted to be this, this, and this. And, and, you know, now like my standards right now is like, we're going to control what we can control, you know, our effort and attitude on a daily basis, you know, and if you can't do that, you won't be around, you know, if you can't control that effort every day and, you know, the, we get to go to practice, we don't have to go to practice type, type of mentality. And, you know, and obviously, you know, we're, we're students first. So we have a, a GPA goal that we want everybody to try to live by and, you know, other than that, you know, we just kind of go by our, you know, pillars that we have in the program. And, you know, and, you know, I, I just if you can come out every day and play hard and compete and not feel sorry for yourself, you know, we're not going to lose. You know, we may come out on the short end of the stick, but we're going to learn from that and move on. And, you know, and I try not to get too upset, you know, if we do those things, because mm-hmm. that's all we ask. You know, if you know, if I think if you have too many rules and, you know, guys play you know, scared, they play nervous. They don't, they don't, you know, tap that full potential that they have. Cool. You mentioned pillars. Would you mind digging into those a little bit? Yeah, we have, you know, we, you know, we, it's, we're the firebirds. So I have it broken down into birds. 
Um, So the B is like brotherhood, the I is for integrity, relentless, discipline, and selfless. And, you know, we kind of, we kind of live by that. And, you know, everything that we do, you know, we're, we're a family, we're brothers, you know, we may not always get along, but we always have each other's back, you know, and, and integrity, you know, obviously everybody knows what that is, you know, doing things right all the time, regardless of, you know, if people are watching, you know, and especially at Chaparral, everybody knows mm-hmm. Chaparral, everybody knows if you're a baseball player or not. And if you're out in the community doing something that you shouldn't be doing, we're going to hear about it, you know, and vice versa. If you're out in the community doing things you're supposed to be doing, we hear about that as well. So, sure, you know, there's always, you know, people out there watching and, you know, the big, you know, the relentless, the R for us, um, relentless in everything that we do, whether we're on the baseball field in the classroom, we're always striving to be better, always striving for perfection. And it doesn't matter if we're down 10, up 10, we're still striving for that perfection and, and being relentless in everything that we do, you know, and then obviously discipline and on and off the field and, you know, selfless, you know, we, we want to serve each other. And, you know, we have a, we have a, a team mantra that we have hanging in our locker room, Mudita that I got from coach Murphy at Alabama softball. Mm-hmm which is, you know, vicarious joy for other success. And, you know, we preach that all the time and the kids have really bought into it. And, you know, they all tap the sign when they come out and, you know, so it's, it's, and that was part of our success this year was, you know, they bought into that and, you know, it didn't matter who's in the lineup, whether you're playing, you weren't playing, you know, the guys were in it for each other. And, you know, that chemistry that we had was, was really good. And, you know, they truly were a brotherhood and a family and um, had that Mudita mindset. No, I really like that, and I, I love the the acronym that it goes with, and I think that that's really neat. How do you? Uh, well, I, I, the best way I can I can phrase this is how do we teach it? You know, we've 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 got guys like yourself who are doing a really good job of helping the kids to be accountable towards those, but then you know you also go into some places, and then there's there's these sayings, and then there's there's these things on a wall that the kids go, Oh, I didn't even know that that was up there. I guess that that's part of, you know, our, our core value system, and, but it's just words on a wall. So how do we, how do we do a good job of, of teaching the things that you're talking about? We talk about it throughout the fall, um, almost on a daily basis we, in practice. And we'll talk about, you know, brotherhood, integrity, Mudita. We'll talk about all those things and we just break it down one day at a time and we'll keep, keep, uh, you know, repeating it and reiterating it, but it's also how, um, our coaches, we live by the same thing. You know, we're not going to tell the kids, Hey, this is what we want you to do. But Oh, by the way, the coaches can do other things because we're the coaches. You know, we, we, we live by that same thing. I hold my coaching staff to those same standards. And I think when the kids see us doing things the right way and treating people the right way, they have to do that as well. And they buy into that. And, you know, and we'll have, We'll have smaller groups like come up with, you know, what, what does brotherhood mean to you? You know, and they kind of teach the whole group um, about that as well. And, you know, and the biggest thing like we did this I year is I had my, cause we, we have so many kids, we'd break up freshmen come one day, older kids come another day. Well, on the days that the freshmen were there, I had the seniors come to that workout as well and kind of be the coaches. So they were teaching the freshmen everything that we do. So they got to know those freshmen. The freshmen got to know those seniors. We were kind of able as coaches to step back and kind of watch and understand, realize that the seniors actually did listen to what we're talking about. <laughs> and, <laughs> I love that. you know, putting the kids through drills and stuff like that and, you know, and build those relationships. And, you know, and I had a number of the seniors in our exit meetings this year talk about how one of the biggest things that we did this year that, you know, helped with our success was we were truly a family because we had open arms for the freshmen. They weren't scared because they remember when their freshman year, you know, which was the year before we got the job, you know, they, they were scared to death. They were treated Mm -hmm. like nobodies. And, you know, the seniors would stand off in the corner and make the freshmen do all the work. And, you know, in our program, everybody does the work because there's not a pecking order on who does it. Everybody, the coaches, players, everybody. So I think the more we live that example, you know, the kids buy into it and they start following those same, that same mindset and that same philosophy. Cool. Well, I guess the, and the flip side of that question that I really enjoy is, you know, can you give us an example of maybe somebody not upholding that standard and how you 
tried to reteach them or change their behavior uh, to align with the group? Um, it's kind of, it's kind of hard, you know, cause we don't sometimes, you know, cause I don't teach on campus. So I don't see those kids outside of the baseball field when they're okay. on the baseball field, you know, they, they do a pretty good job of doing everything the right way. Um, but one thing that like the kids did this year is like we did, eh, it wasn't this year's last year. We got all the kids like these bracelets that have family on and I had the acronym on there. Um, but they had to wear it every day. And if you got caught without it on, there would be, you know, a punishment, not by me, but by the players. And, you know, so the one day one of our better players came out and he didn't have his wristband on and the kids called him out on it. So they made him um, army crawl across the outfield and, you know, do some, do some stuff like <laughs> nice. that. But it was like, sure. it was, it was setting that, that mindset that, Hey, we're in this together. We're all in this, you know, we're a family, we're going to hold each other accountable. And it kind of started that, you know, the leadership and it doesn't matter if you're a senior junior or sophomore or even a freshman, you know, we're all getting held to that same standard. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you don't live up to it, you know, guys were holding each other accountable. And this year us coaches, we didn't really have to have a talk about any of that because the kids took care of it in the locker room. They, you know, there was obviously no, you know, guys crawling across the outfield anymore, but <laughs> they were able to say, Hey man, where's your, cause we had these links that we wore this year. Um, and they're like, hey, man, where's your link? Like they were holding each other accountable, you know, without us even knowing and didn't have to deal with it. So that was that was awesome to see from the coaching side that they bought in and truly held each other accountable for that. No, that's great. I, I love hearing that. And, and that's such a great story and speaks to, you know, your leadership with within the program as well, that you that it's trickled down so far that to where those guys are, are holding each other accountable. And I, I think, you know, that's the layers of leadership that we all want. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, everybody wants to have, you know, leaders and, you know, and I tell my coaches all the time, they're like, ah, these co these kids aren't buying in. They're not doing this. They're, we need leadership. I was like, leadership's organic. You know, we can't make these kids be leaders. You know, eventually kids start to, and they, they try to lead in their own ways, whether it's sure. lead by example. And there's a couple kids that, you know, weren't afraid to talk and, you know, and they had the respect of everybody else. But like, we can't look at a kid's like, hey, I want you to be the leader of this team. Well, that may not be who they are, you know, so it's got to kind of be organic. And, you know, and we had some really good conversations with the coaching staff regarding that. And um, and the kids really bought into that and did a great job this year. No, and then you can probably credit a lot of that to the success that you guys had this year. And you mentioned earlier you guys got to the semifinals, which, again, not the result that I'm sure that you guys wanted, but a super successful year uh, nonetheless. But let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, the the upcoming fall, and uh, I would love to know. You know, you can either go through last fall of what you guys did, or what you're planning on doing this upcoming fall. You know, tell us a little bit about when you get your players. You can get them on a field for how long, and just walk us through your off season calendar. Like if we were gonna go, if we were gonna uh, re-record this in in January, and said, "Hey, you you said you, we just killed it this fall." what were some things that needed to happen in the, in the fall uh, to be able to win it? Right. Um, in Arizona, there's, there's no rules on how much you can do with your kids. You just can't make it mandatory. So like our season ended a couple weeks ago. So I don't, we don't do anything during the summer. I let the kids go play with other kids, other teams, other coaches. So they're not hearing my voice, you know, 12 months out of the year, they hear other people and it allows kids to go play, you know, other positions, but at the same time, you know, staying where they need to be with what we have them in the program. But once we get to school in August, I give them a couple of weeks to get back in the flow of going to school. And then we will get everybody together and we'll get in the weight room. Um, usually, hopefully this year, you know, we got to, we got to wait to see what football has because football obviously has priority and they're very successful. So they have a lot of priority in the weight room, um, but finding time to get in there, you know, and that's the biggest thing that I have written down for our program is to get stronger. Cause we have a lot of big, big kids that just haven't filled out yet. And we just, we just need to get stronger as a, as a program top to bottom. And, you know, that sweat equity that you put in, in the weight room, you know, I think is the big difference for us to get over that hump. Um, so we'll get in there. Um, starting towards the end of August, you know, three to four days a week. And then probably around the start of October, we will, 
our middle of September, we'll start doing hitting groups, smaller groups, so we can start to learn, you know, the new kids' names, the freshmen's names. Um, they get to understand us. It's more relaxed time, like to hit. We just do a basic, you know, what we want to do in the program hitting wise, and then we'll have fall break in October. And once we get back from fall break, is when we'll start our throwing program, start doing individual drills. Um, we'll have days where the infielders are there while outfielders are hitting. We'll flip them. So we don't have so many kids at one time. And we're also going through the overseed process on the field. So we don't have our field, but we're lucky enough to where we have a grass area um, down the left field line and foul territory that we have. It's the size of a football field and we can do a lot of our stuff over there. A lot of our conditioning, um, all of our throwing program. We have a, a, a JV softball field that we kind of manicure and keep so we can get on the infield over there yeah, and cool. do our work. And, um, so it doesn't really bother us that we're not on the field yet because it allows us to break down, you know, the fundamentals of the game that we want the kids doing and kind of kids pick up bad habits. They come in with bad habits. Um, and we're just trying to get them to do things the way we want them done and sure. um, in a smaller setting so you can start to build on that because I tell everybody all the time because we don't play games in the fall. We'll scrimmage. We don't play games because if you're trying to make adjustments with a kid, when they go play a game, they're going to revert back to their old habits. Mm-hmm. But we try to instill those those new those new habits, those new the techniques or whatever we're wanting to do, the adjustments, you know, to where it's it comes second nature. They don't have to think about it anymore. So then when we do start playing in January, et cetera, um, they've already overcome that adjustment phase of, you know, if we're making adjustment offensively and they go over 20, so what? We don't care. You know, we want to see that adjustment where if they're going to play games with outside teams or whatever they don't want to go for 20, you know, even though they know they're trying to work on something, they want to hit the baseball and get hits and feel successful. So, sure. Um, and then we'll, we'll end up in first of December. We'll scrimmage. Once we get on the field, we'll scrimmage every day for about two and a half weeks and make it more of a controlled setting to where we can stop the game and talk about things. And, and then we'll get in the end of January and we'll start out. We'll be out there every day. And, um, you know, where we're starting to install our bunts and first and thirds and double cuts and relays and all that stuff, very sure. vanilla. So we can't have our tryouts till first of February. Um, oh, okay. We'll, 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 we'll have 90 to 100 kids out there. So we try to keep it as vanilla as possible. So those kids that do get cut and if they transfer, they're not, you know, passing on the secrets, I guess, what we're trying to do. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of our off season. And, um, you know, obviously we'll, we'll sit down as a coaching staff when we get back, um, to school and, you know, kind of have a plan, what we want to do with bullpens and pitchers and returners, what we want to make adjustment wise, what we need to build on, um, et cetera. So. I love it now. Uh, well, that'll take us, you know, through several months of, of baseball stuff. And you, so let's, let's talk about how you flip the script when you start preseason. So you're starting the, uh, the more of the team stuff and then installing, I'm sure signs and mm-hmm. different things like that. But how do you, how do you feel like, okay, again, going back to the winning analogy, how do you win the preseason to make sure you guys are ready for game one? Uh, well, well, I've kind of kicked it around in the past. You know, we, I used to never play any games till we got to our season. You know, okay. we would just do everything in house. Um, but the last couple of years, you know, coming back from COVID, we got in a couple preseason, you know, type type of tournaments in January um, and got and the kids had eight to 10 games under their belt. So we had a really good idea of where everybody was. So when we did have our cuts and tryouts, basically, we knew, OK, this is a varsity guy. This is a bullpen guy for varsity. This guy's not ready yet. He needs to be on JV um, type of deal. And. You know, last year we played a couple games, and um, and this this January we'll probably play. I'll try to get to eight to ten games. You know, where we're having, you know, outside competition where we come in and you know play on a Wednesday or a Saturday, whatever it might be. And you know, and those kids won't play all ten games, but we'll be able to split mm-hmm. up where they'll at least get, you know, at least four to five games in each. You know, so that's you know, ten to fifteen at bats, I would guess. Okay. Um, and get the that's guys cool. some get some time on the mound and and the great thing about Arizona I mean we don't really have to worry about the weather I mm-hmm. mean January is going to be 70 degrees and sunny 
you know, and I don't even have to worry about it. I just know we're going to be able to be outside every day and, and get after it and, you know, get ready for the season to start in February. No, really cool. So let's say, you know, I, I don't know what, what your process of, you know, defining roles or talking with players about where they stand on the team, but let's say that, you know, I'm, I'm a player and, you know, I, I made it through cuts and then I'm getting ready we're getting ready to the season. Do you guys have preseason meetings or is that done in the off season? And then they, you know, they earn their spot through the off season. Uh, is it more, more, uh, do you, you take a lot more time than, than just having one or two meetings a year? Do you just kind of let it organically happen? But what's that communication process? Like say that I'm a returning player and I didn't play a whole lot last year. And I may think that I am going to play more this year. You know, it, like walk me through that communication process, I guess. Yeah, well, this is one thing that I've really changed in the last few years um, okay. as a coach um, to communicate more because that was one of my, I would guess, one of my downfalls that I didn't communicate enough. And what we did last year was at the end of the fall, we met with everybody, every single kid individually, and kind of told them how the fall went, where we see them if tryouts started today. Okay. Um, you know, you obviously things can change in the last two months and it always does, you know, kids take to heart what you say and they come back better from Christmas break and are ready to roll. Mm -hmm. Other kids go backwards and it doesn't work out like you thought it would. Um, so we have that conversation in December because if there's a kid that doesn't like what he's heard, what he's told, it gives them the opportunity if they want to, to transfer. Um, you know, and it doesn't hurt my feelings because I think the kid puts in five months of time with you and, if he doesn't, you know, he, you tell him, Hey, you're probably not going to play much. You're, you're probably a varsity kid, but you're not going to get to play much. It gives them the opportunity to transfer and, and go play mm-hmm. where if we have that, you know, he waits till February and we have that same conversation. Well, now it's too late because the season's already right. started. Sure. Um, so we'll have that conversation in December. Um, and then once we have our tryouts in February, um, we meet with every kid in the program individually as a coaching staff and let them know where they are. Like your varsity kid, your JV kid, your freshman, whatever. Um, you know, some of the conversations aren't easy. You know, it's like, hey, I see you as a backup. You're probably not going to play much. You know, you're a borderline if you're a cut kid or not. And give them that opportunity. Like, you know, if you can be a good teammate, you come every day with a great energy and great effort and attitude. You know, and they say, yeah, coach, I'm in. I want to be a part of the team. But they know their role already. Right. You know, and obviously sure. things can change, but we're, we're honest with them up front. And, you know, obviously if they have a question, you know, they get home and every year, you know, mom and dad want to talk about it. We have them come back in with the kid and, you know, we tell them the same thing if, if need be. And, uh, sure. you know, it just kind of lets them know where they're going to be. And there's obviously every year there's, it doesn't work out like you think, you know, whether injuries or grades or whatever happens, you know, a kid will pop in there. He gets a couple at bats and, does something really good for you and now you can't mm-hmm. take him out of the lineup you know sure. we, we had that situation this year that i never thought well, this kid would be an everyday guy and he ends up being second team and should have been first team all region and you know hits like 450 <laughs> <That's awesome>. so <laughs> you know it just right. you know things things you know guys getting games and you know when you put that jersey on and you're playing somebody else with a different color jersey you know they just they they rise to the occasion and you know but you know, and this year we had a couple parents that would, you know, reach out in the middle of the season and be like, hey, why is my son not playing? Well, this was the role that we set forth, you know, for mm-hmm. him. And, you know, like, oh, well, you know, they had no idea. So sure, it kind of, you know, just being honest. And it's, you know, it's not always an easy conversation. You know, they come up right. and they ask and, you know, but I tell my coaches, like, if we're honest with them, we're never going to get ourselves in a situation that we're in trouble because right. we've, we've been honest with them. And, you know, if they don't like what they're told, you know, it's not a, it's not a right to be a chaperone baseball player. It's a privilege. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can always, you know, choose to go somewhere else or choose not to play. So I you know, really like that. Yeah. And it's not, it's, like I said, it's, you know, those tough conversations aren't easy, but you know, they make you a better coach, make you a better player because, you know, nowadays, you know, everybody knows kids hide behind their cell phones or people hide behind the, you know, the Twitter and the social media and they want to text you. And I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want you to text me. I want to talk to you face to face, you know, because as you grow and you, 
you know, get out of high school and go to college and you're going to have to go meet with people face to face and you can't be afraid to have tough conversations. And, um, and that's, that's the biggest thing that trying to get over is just that, that communication piece that, Mm -hmm. you know, from myself and from the players to me as well. Well, cool. Well, I, I would love to, to add on to what you're saying. I, so we, uh, I, I, some of the listeners might've, might've heard, we won a state championship this year. And really excited. Love the group. We're graduating 15 guys, which I, I'm so, so sad to see him go. Right. But when you have that many seniors, <laughs> really, really, it was, it was a tough year in regards to, there were some hurt feelings Yep. and we had, you know, seven senior starters, uh, some guys that threw, but I think, you know, I, 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 uh, the assistant coaches took on that role of, okay, we got to make sure that we communicate with these guys to make sure that they, you know, feel a part of it. And there were some guys who didn't play much at all. Great kids. There were some guys who, who played sparingly. And at, at any point in the year, our right fielder broke his hand. He was our three hole. Our first baseman got a concussion when we were in Florida. So he's out for a couple of weeks. Our catcher actually dislocated his knee in the semifinals of the state tournament. Oh. Our second baseman uh, broke his hamate. Our starting second baseman all year broke his hamate bone in the semis of the state tournament. And our our starting third baseman who signed to play hurt his back before game one. And we brought up a, a kid from JV, and he ends up being the the uh, MVP of the state tournament. And so started all year and, and did a really, really great job. But it's just those moments of, okay, so this kid started on JV, ends up being the state finals MVP. We had a we had a guy that didn't hit for three weeks and had a conversation with me of like, hey, should I just pitch only? And I'm like, no, no, like keep keep grinding it away, keep doing what you're doing. He ends up being our DH batting over 400. And so it's just like, you know, it's those opportunities that these kids in the moment they don't see. But over time, that stuff happens every year. And some of this, this, this year felt like there was more of that. And good thing it happened early. There's more of that that happened than usual with injuries and different things. But those things happen every year. And you even mentioned your second baseman. And that's why I think, just to add on to what you're saying, and we communicate with them and we, you know, when we, and we do what we say, it helps them to feel comfortable, maybe not, maybe not comfortable, but it helps them to find peace in that role and to continue to see that, Hey, there is a light at the end of the tunnel rather than, Hey, going up to the lineup and not seeing my name every single day. That is just like, and, and expecting to, because kids, you know, right. some of them have really no idea. Right. And <laughs> so they go up and, and that's just completely demoralizing. Yep. No, yeah, I, no, I, I, so. no, no doubt that that's, and, and that's exactly what you tell kids, like, stay with it, stay with it. You never know when you're going to get your chance. And it right. could, and I, we tell kids all the time, it could be middle of the season, could be start, could be in the state championship game. You never know, mm -hmm. but you have to be ready. And, you know, we talk to our guys all the time about, even if you're not in the game, you can still affect the game. Sure. So we got, we got four guys that are just eyeballing the other teams, their catchers, their pitchers, their coaches, mm -hmm. to see if we can pick up on anything that they're doing, you know, whether it's pitch calling or, you know, offensive signs, whatever. And we got four guys that are doing that every day, you know, and, and they're part. So then when they get called into the game to play, they're ready to go because they're mentally, you know, locked in. And, you know, and it's just when you see it happen, you know, you're like, oh, man, our starter's down. What are we going to do? And that next hit goes in, you're like, we're going to be just fine. You know, because that's, you know, finding a way to make them feel like they're a part of the team, even when they're not getting to play much, you know, their value is still there. And, you know, and that, that's that, that's just awesome that they were able to, to do that. And, you know, your JV guy coming in there and being the MVP, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and you know, good player. Uh, and it wasn't anything that we did, but it credit to him for continuing to, to see that and then get an opportunity and run with it. And, and that's, that's the stuff as coaches, uh, we, you know, we, we talk about all the time, but you know, I want, I want to ask about, you know, how you, you mentioned that this is a newer thing that you do with these meetings. So say that there's a, a couple of coaches that are listening who are like, yeah, Troy, like I, I really want to do that. You know, give me some advice, uh, good and bad on, on what you've experienced with this. How do you set it up? How do you talk to your coaching staff about this? How do we make sure that we do it well and give them feedback that's, you know, practical and actionable 
how do we give them clarity? All of these things, like there's a, there's a coach that's listening that's shaking their head going, okay, I want to do this, but how do I get started? And what advice would you give them? Yeah. I mean, as a coaching staff, we meet, if not every other week, once a week, you know, at, uh, on a Friday, we talk about the week, we talk about each kid. We have every kid's name written on a board so we don't miss anybody. And I give all the coaches a, uh, a cardstock sheet with everybody's name on it. So they're, they're evaluating everybody's every kid on a daily basis. So it helps them get to know the kid personally start to build those relationships, but also like anything that we need to talk about. And they have that sheet of paper. And so it jogs their mind. We have, we'll collect all those. So then when we do meet with those kids, you know, all the coaches are on the same page and I may see something different than my assistant coaches, but we all are able to communicate what we see to the kid. Um, you know, and we'll break it down and make it to where they can understand it. But we always have myself in the room, the player, and I always have at least one or two coaches in there um, just to make sure if something comes back on us that, you know, there's there's three of us in there, you know, with the player that understands, you know, what's kind of going on. So there's no miscommunication if mom and dad come back towards us, you know, at another date. But we also, you know, let the kids talk too. Like I usually start out by, you know, asking the kid, how do you think your fall went? You know, and, and more times than not, we, you know, a lot of times we don't give the kids credit for self-evaluation. You know, obviously there's kids that out there that totally see it differently than what you do. But for the most part, they come in and they, they're pretty spot on on what, um, how their fall went and what they need to do differently um, to get better. And, you know, a lot of times their question be like, what do I need to do to be on varsity? And that's everybody's goal is to be on varsity, which I understand. Everybody in minor league baseball wants to be in the big leagues. Well, sometimes you just kind of have to wait your turn, you know, because that's the one good thing about having a good program. You have good baseball players and you may be a really good player as a sophomore and would be on 90 percent of the high school teams, varsity teams in Arizona. But at Chaparral, you're just you're not ready and doesn't do you any justice to come sit the bench, you know, and get, you know, 10 or 15 at bats when you could play JV. Get your 75 to 80 at bats throughout the year. And then step into that role as a junior. Um, and then it just, and again, it just goes back to being, being honest with them and, you know, having it all, having that information for them when they come and ask and, um, and you can help them. And we kind of, we stay as positive as we can, you know, even if we have to, it's going to be a negative um, conversation with the kid. Like we know this kid's probably going to be a cut kid. We still make it as positive as possible because we want them when they're done playing at Chaparral to have a great four years experience, sure. whether we win Absolutely. or we lose, they're leaving there with a positive, you know, yeah, I may not have played, but you know what? The coaches helped me. They coached me. I wasn't just off to the corner and didn't play. Um, I may have been, I may not have got to play much, but they still coached me. I still got better as a player and as a human being because of what we did in the program. And, um, you know, then they, they leave, they leave and they, you know, they have, they want to come back. They want their kids to come back. Maybe they want to come back and coach and it just keeping the alumni and all that, you know, kind of off track now, but, um, I'm sure. you know, it, it just keeps that, that family type, you know, that feeling, that feeling family type atmosphere that you want and, you know, being honest in those meetings and, you know, I think goes a long way to, to doing that. Mm-hmm. No, I really like that. And, so let me let me give you an, another situation. Let's say that you you have these meetings with with these kids. Are there any like what what's the what's the next step with let's say in like two weeks there and we're in the middle of a season and I've you know you've you've told this player that hey we're we're going to get you in when we can we we want you to be a part of the program we 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 love you and they haven't gotten really that opportunity yet but they come up to you and they say, Hey coach, can we talk about, you know, the opportunities to get on the field? Yeah. How do, how do you, how do you teach them to uh, approach that in, in the best way? You know, it's, 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 you'll get parent emails, you'll get kids that say it wrong ways, but what's like, what's the proper way to approach you in that situation? And then kind of what are the guidelines on, on, on how that they, 
how they go about you know doing that because you know some some high school coaches know you're going to get a parent email you know what's a standard there you're going to get a kid who you know says it in the middle of a game or says it on the way to the bus and right. and just different things like that but just kind of walk us through especially with new head coaches that are that are getting into it that's going to happen at some point I'm sure but you know walk us through what what Troy would do in those situations well you know obviously the parent emails always always happen and Mm-hmm. You know, if, and I tell my parents, I will reply to your email where I don't care what you call me. You can call me every wrong name in the book and I will reply to your email, um, and say, thank you, whatever it might be. Um, as long as they have their name on it, if I get an anonymous email or whatever like that, I just throw them out. I don't pay any attention to them. Sure. Um, cause if you don't have the guts to put your name behind it, then right. there's no reason to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll be very honest. A lot of times I'll just call the parents. I'll just like, can I have your phone number so I can call you? Cause it's easier for them. Cause things get mis taken for the wrong thing on the email or a text sure. message, whatever. And I want to talk to them. And a lot of times it's about three minutes of them frustration getting out and then you tell them what's going on and then they're like, okay, thank you. You know, so it kind of, it squashes it right away by, unless instead of like doing the email back and forth and, you know, again, things get taken the wrong way. And, you know, then it doesn't answer their questions because they mm-hmm. don't really understand what you meant by, you know, staying back, whatever it might be in an email. But when you talk to them, you know, on the phone or in person, now they can now they understand and um, and answers their questions. And you kind of move on and keep that positive you know, mentality throughout the program. Um, as far as the kids go, you know, I tell them all the time, you know, our doors always open, you know, in the middle of a practice, in the middle of a game isn't the time nor the place to do that. Um, sure. You know, if it's before practice, like, Hey coach, can I talk to you afterwards? Absolutely. You know, and, and it might be, we just go down this, the foul line and we talk, or maybe we'll go in the office and talk, or, you know, maybe just we're, you know, we're fixing home plate and one of the catchers wants to talk about what's going on. And, you know, and our kids do a really good job, like being respectful about it, you know, and like I tell them, like, we're not going to talk about playing sure. time. We're not going to talk about other players if you want to know what you need to do to get better, you know, by all means, we'll, we'll talk about it. And, you know, two years ago, um, you know, after the COVID season, you know, we didn't get to play any tournament games, you know, to where you get to play, you know, multiple lineups and kids get opportunities to play and show what they have. You know, every game we played was a PowerPoint game, which goes into, you know, your end of the season ranking, getting the playoffs, et cetera. Okay. You know, and the catcher that we had starting, you know, he was doing a great job behind the plate and wasn't very good offensively, but we were winning with him behind the plate. He was handling the pitching staff the right way. Everything was awesome. Mm-hmm. And the backup catcher is like, coach, what do I need to do to get on the field? And I'm like, you need to continue to make him better, continue to push him and continue to make him better every day in practice. And when you get your opportunity, it will come, you know, take off with it. Cause he was more of an offensive catcher. Mm-hmm. And he got a couple pinch hit opportunities, hit a couple doubles. And then the catcher that we had starting started worrying about his offensive numbers. And so we put in the other catcher and he never gave up the spot. You know, he started every game for the rest of the season going into the playoffs. And, you know, then, you know, so it was like, you know, just being honest with him and just mm-hmm. letting him know, hey, this is, this is what I see. This is what we've talked about. This is, you know, continue to get, you know, continue to work every day in practice like you are playing, like you are the starter, because that will get you ready when you do get your opportunity to not give it up. And, you know, and I get it. I mean, it, it, it is hard when you're sitting on the bench and you think you should be playing. And, you know, and part of the reason I over communicate now or at least try to mm-hmm. is because of those conversations I had with those two catchers two years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and then, go, you know, even like this year, you know, like we'd have you know, kids that have been in a starting lineup for eight, nine games in a row. And I got to sit them down because they're throwing a left here. I want to get this kid in the lineup. And I'd go tell them like, Hey, you're not playing today because of this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, no, coach. that's good. Yeah. You know, and it, and, it, and it was hard. It was tough conversations mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot like you guys, we had seven seniors in our offensive lineup and they were all really good. I'm like, who do you take out? You know, and you know, our DH was a senior who was coming off a Tommy John injury. So all he could do was hit and, mm-hmm there was multiple times where I told him like, Hey man, you're not playing tomorrow because we're going to DH this guy because he's swinging a hot bat right now. 
Sure. You know, and defensively, we need these other guys in the lineup. And, you know, and he wasn't happy, but he handled it the right way. And, you know, and I think that relationship that we had and being able to communicate that went a long way because if you go in the dugout the day of the game and you have a, somebody else written in that DH spot, now he's right. pissed off that day. Right. You know, and, and that can spread mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the dugout. And, you know, and it, it's not always easy even for coaches like to have that conversation and tell the kid, hey, man, I'm not playing you tomorrow because of this right. or, the, you know, X, Y, Z. And, you know, but again, you know, I think the kids appreciate that and, you know, that trust and that relationship that you're trying to build with them continues to grow because you have been honest with them. And, right. you know, you know, it's not easy. You know, we had to do it in the state semifinal game and, you know, it's not easy. But, you know, at the end of the day, they they appreciate it and they love you for it. And, you know, you know, kind of just being part of that team and that family atmosphere. No, I mean, it's it, it helps them to get over the shock of the lineup card thing. It, but it also tells you, you know, and, and I don't think that they, I think that they know that those conversations are hard too, but it speaks to the relationship that you want with the players by you doing that. And and again, it, to the coaches that are listening, I don't think you have to do that to every player, but right. if, you know, you started a couple games or if you play every other day, I, I think that that's a conversation because they want to know, like right. every competitor wants to know, Hey, why am I not in the lineup? And you know, it, it where there's a lack of communication, negativity fills that void. And I heard John Gordon say that a couple of weeks ago and I was like, Oh my gosh, like that makes so much sense in regards to, you know, on the coaching staff or with coaches to players or player to player, you know, where where you don't communicate, then you obviously think the worst case scenario. So just giving that and, and just tell him, Hey, like I'm going to give this guy a shot. He's earned it. So have you, but it's his day to day and and we're going to get you back in there tomorrow or whenever, and then follow through on that. And then they're like, okay, like, this is what being a good teammate is, but yep. the, you know, I, I love hearing you say that. And I, I don't know if you were ever a bench player, but I, I think that, that I have a whole lot of, of uh, respect for coaches who, who did experience the bench some, because then I think that we have a heightened awareness of, no doubt. of, uh, of, no doubt. of what it's like to be on the bench. So I, I really yeah. like that and, yeah. and not being an everyday player, yeah. but no, no. One of the other things that that I really wanted to get into, uh, you know, I, I love spending a, a ton of time on communication just because I think it's so vital. But I'd love to hear, you know, how do we conduct practice in season efficiently? This time of year, we've got a lot of turnover. There are coaches moving jobs. There are coaches moving into head coaching roles. And I know this seems like forever away. But when we get to the end season, how have you felt like the the uh, just some tips it doesn't have to be like hey this is how we lay out every practice on a tuesday but it could be right. like hey like we we like these type of games or we'll mix this with this or we try to do team defense every day or you know however you guys run it but just any tips for those who are looking to either make it more efficient or bring some more energy or for the for the coaches that are getting into the head coaching role what are some experiences that you felt like could have made you better that you wouldn't mind sharing yeah, I mean, you know, we have our, you know, our daily fundamentals that we try to do on a daily basis. And, okay. you know, whether it's offensively, we're in the cages, defensively, um, we try to get base running in every day. Um, you know, and, and defensively, you know, the infielders have got their daily drills. Outfielders have their daily drills that they do before practice, or at least they should be anyway. <laughs> um, and, and we do a team base running every day, and it's different. Some days we're working on first or third. Some days we're working second to home. You know, every we change it up every day. So it's something new. It's not the same thing every single day because everybody knows baseball can be very monotonous. So our daily drills are they they change every day. Um, You know, everything that we do, we we do something different every single day just to keep that um, that intensity up and that focus up, you know, because when you start doing the same thing, then you start to get lackadaisical. You start to, you know not have that same intensity that you want. And then we try to make everything as intense as we can, just like it would be in the game. So when we do our team defense, you know, we're trying to put pressure on the defense. We're trying to put pressure on the offense to make it that, um, I got this from Jeff Sherman, you know, we call it the jungle and, you know, and it's, there's days where, you know, we'll train in the zoo and do stuff in the cages in the zoo to make everybody feel good. But then once we get on the field, you know, we're going to do that. We're going to get in the jungle and have to fight and um, get after it to uh, 
you know, to succeed. And, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it, it it's a daily, it's early on when you do it, it they're, they're not real good at it. Um, they don't understand like me yelling and barking. They think they did something wrong. Well, it's just me trying to get you to deal with adversity. Okay. And I think, I think the more that you can make, you know, the team offense, the team defense game speed and game like, the better they are when they get in the game because they've already been through it and it's been harder. So now they're able to slow down and be more successful um, in the game setting. And, uh, you know, one thing that we did um, this year, you know, on a daily basis when practice was over, we celebrated something. It was the end of the practice we celebrated and they would dance, they would scream, they would holler, they would dance around. And it, it may have been we're celebrating the fact that we didn't miss a sign or we're celebrating somebody's birthday. We're celebrating a kid, you know, didn't fall down catching a fly ball. And some of it, you know, you look at it, like, oh, that's kind of kind of childish that you're celebrating that. Well, sure. that celebration, whether practice was good or practice was bad, they left there with a positive mindset. So when they went in the locker room, dressed out, went home, it was positive because they just celebrated. They were you know, excited to come back for that next day. And that's what we want mm-hmm. on a daily basis for them to show up and be excited and bring that, that effort that, you know, all the coaches know that their kids need to have on a daily basis to be successful. And, um, you know, and the kids did a very good job with that. And, you know, we don't, we don't do a lot of stuff that's, you know, fancy. We, we try to be really good at the fundamentals, really good at the basics, mm-hmm. you know, why practice, the special pickoff play that you use three times throughout the whole year. Why not be really good with the basic pick to first or the basic inside move to second or the basic punt plays? Um, you know, cause more times than not, you make that basic play, you know, you're going to get those outs and you're going to succeed and, you know, have a chance to win the game. Sure. You know, a lot of guys have all these gimmicks and all this other stuff that I'm like, yeah, some of that's, you know, fun to put in with the kids and makes them think about, you know, you know, the special pick a second when the pitcher doesn't even throw it, but everybody's diving and get that kid from second to take off the third. And it's, it's fun for the kids to practice it because it's something different and it's creative, but to practice it every day for, you know, 25, 30 minutes, you're just wasting that valuable time, you know, for that one time that you're going to use it, you know, throughout the season. So you mentioned, you know, getting competitive in game, like in practices with uh, team offense or defense, what are, would you mind sharing some practical examples on, on how you do that? Uh, we'll do, we'll split the, the guys up into two teams, a gold and a red team. And, um, and we'll go through a script. So like, we'll start with a run on first base. So we'll be putting on live signs. We'll have a pitching machine on the mound with a pitcher there and the kids get one pitch. So we'll put on whatever situation we want on you know, whether it's a straight steal, delay, hit and run, push or drag, you know, and it's one and done. If they don't execute and succeed it, they got to run. Um, so they run the foul pulling back, but it makes, and, and it's very quick. Everybody on that team will get to go. And it's, I think you're doing a pitch every 14 to 15 seconds. So it's very high paced and the defense is implementing their pick plays, their, their first and thirds, their, their bunt defenses, you know, and we'll do, four or five innings of this and then you know so first innings run on first second inning would be runners on first and second third innings first and third and then we'll do it with bases loaded and we'll keep score of everything so the winning team doesn't have to clean up the losing team's got to clean everything up or one day this year they bet you know the winning team would get you know polar pops from circle k and you know from the other team and you know just that intensity that um excitement and at the same time they're locked into the game setting because mm-hmm. they love to play games but from the coaching side you're putting in all the situations that you might use in a game you know first and third early break first and third you know safety squeeze and they're you know you're putting your offense on it makes the catchers think because now they're putting on their first and third defense you know without the coaches telling them what's going on so it kind of makes everybody start thinking on their own um on how we play the game and you know what they need to do you know because we shouldn't my goal hopefully is like shouldn't have to have a coach tell you what the situation is, you know, run on first base. We should know what bump plays we're in, you know, based off run on first run on second, whatever it might be. Um, so that's what, that's kind of what we call the, you know, the jungle, the triangle drill. Some guys call it that. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's shockingly my kids, like the, I'll, I'll, I'll pick a time throughout the season where I just start screaming 
Not and, and it's just at, at anybody, anything that we do, just loud and obnoxious to get them to overcome adversity. And this year our catchers were struggling, you know, with their throws to second base. We weren't we weren't being aggressive doing back picks and I was like, today I'm gonna wear out the catchers. And this was about halfway through the season and I wore the catchers out that day. Everything that they did, I was just I was on them. Whether it was good or it was bad, I was just on them and just very loud. And sometimes it's funny and the kids laugh, but it <laughs> made it made it made the catchers lock in and focus on what they were supposed to be doing. And they were really good for the rest of the year. Just by that one day, um, you know, being being like that, it, that that intensity like was like automatic. Like they, their intensity level, you know, went through the roof on that day because they're like, oh man, I need to be locked in what I'm doing. So it made them start thinking. And and it was kind of funny when we had our exit meetings. One of my catchers was like, coach, it'd been nice if you'd have told us what was going on on that day so we could, you know, be able to to know what to do without you getting honest that much and I was like I go I understand what you're saying I go but in a game situation do they say before the game hey you're going to be 0 for 4 today <laughs> sure but we're going to need you in the fifth inning or in that fifth at bat to get a base hit or you're going to make three errors but we need you to make this play on this one I go no I go it happens you make mistakes you have to learn from it and overcome right then and there mm-hmm. I go and that's the purpose of that and he's like ah so it's like the light bulb uh, went off okay. <laughs> you know sure um, no, that's good but again but again it's that that game setting where if you're just doing regular old first and third with nobody on defense, nobody hitting, mm-hmm. you know, which, which is great to learn what's going on, but you have to have that game intensity because then when you get in the game, everything slows down and, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, ha, this was harder in practice. This will be easy. No, you know? That. So, and, and that's, and that's obviously the goal is being able to slow it down during the game as you know, everybody wants. Sure. No doubt. That's really, really good. Well, I've got a couple of quick hitters for you before we go. And I, uh, I, again, I, I want to be the first to say thank you for coming on and, and sharing so much of what you guys are doing. And you've been an open book, which I truly appreciate. And it's been an awesome conversation. But the first one of the quick hitters, there's four of them. First one is, what's a drill that your players love that we can steal from you? Oh, man. Um, I would say first and third hit and run scrimmage. So, he, again, you have two teams, first and third situation. It's one pitch. I'm on the mound or closer to the home plate, you know, halfway there on the on the ramp, and <laughs> sure. it's yeah. everything's everything's a hit and run. And you got defense, you got guys going, and it's very quick paced. And it's amazing. You know, you're obviously we're keeping score, but the intensity, like we did that a couple times in the middle of the season, and our offense took off because it got them on top of the baseball without them knowing sure. that's what we were doing. We we're doing a hit and run. And everybody knows you got to hit line drive or on the ground and hit and run. And it, just, it it helped us take off as a team and the kids get into it. Then they start doing their safety squeezes, they're stealing and, you know, and, you know, we're keeping points for how many runs you score, double plays and defense it. gets points for everything. Great plays, you know, and guys are chirping each other and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, but, and it's, it's, it incorporates everything that you do. And it's first and third hit and run scrimmage. You get one pitch, here it is mm. and, and go, let's go. No, that's really good. And there's a thousand base runners running around. No doubt. And, it's, cha- it's chaos. That's great. I'm going to steal that one. Second one is what's the latest thing that you've learned that's made you better at your job? Oh, uh, I'd say trust. Okay. Um, trust, trust the players. Um, like this year, one of the things that we did, we, and I don't usually, when we're on the field, we wear pants. I'm just like, that's how you play. That's what we need to do. You got to wear pants. And we, man, about three weeks left in the season, we had a day where we we got beat and it was a pretty bad game. I was like, next day we're going to wear shorts. And we didn't wear pants again the rest of the year because our kids, they told me this after, like, they're like, Coach, we felt like you trusted us to get our work done, even though we were in shorts. And everybody thinks that when you wear shorts, it's more relaxed, it's not as intense. But, Coach, like, we were still locked in. We were intense because you trusted us. And it, 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 it didn't dawn on me. I just kept doing it because we were winning. So I didn't want to change what we were doing. Sure. But that, that trust between myself and the players and the players and myself is, was, is really, um, really awesome. I love that. All right. Third question. What's one thing that you've implemented that's made the biggest impact on your program? 
Hmm. Um, I, I think the communication. Um, okay. You know, because I've never, up until this year, you know, if we were making a lineup change, like we didn't, you know, we didn't mm-hmm. go talk to the kids. We just did it. But I was like, God, you know, as a kid growing up, nobody told me I wasn't playing. You know, I just, right. I looked over with this day and age, um, you know, and I know, you know, after my second year, you know, we had some parents go to administration about that on my, you know, I didn't communicate enough. And I, I took that to heart because I like, you know, obviously there's always going to be parents that are upset with things, but communication is very simple. That's something that I know I need to get better at. So I took that to heart and, you know, so, you know, if those parents are listening that went to administration, I appreciate that because you made me a better coach and um, it made our program better because now I still trying to improve at it, but it's that communication piece with the kids and on a daily basis. That's really good. All right. And the final question is if you could give anybody a resource or just something in general that that's made you a better coach, is there anything that that comes to mind? Uh, Find a coaching group to be a part of. Um, I'm, you know, fortunate enough to have a a group of friends um, across the country that we talk on a daily basis, you know, sometimes it's about baseball. Sometimes it's about coffee and, or what type of pen to use on charts, but it's, it's, it's awesome because you know, you're not alone. You know, if you have a situation come up, you know, the guys in your group have been there, done that. So it's easy to, to deal with that situation that you're having to deal with in your program. And, and it could be discipline on a kid. Hey, this kid got caught doing this at school. How would you guys handle this? Mm-hmm. You know, and it kind of makes you think about other things and, you know, what do, what do you guys do on this first and third? Well, this is how we combat this. This is what, you know, we do. And just having that, that friendship, that relationship with guys, you know, I, I, I can't thank them enough. And, you know, I'm sure they'll listen to this when it gets, when it's out, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they're truly a blessing um, to me, my family and, you know, my coaching staff because it's made me a better, a better coach, a better human, a better dad, uh, better, better husband. And, you know, it's that having that coaching group, I think would be uh, one of the biggest things for any young coaches out there, any, even older coaches, um, because we're not, we don't know everything, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you can take one tidbit from somebody, you just got yourself better. And if you're still doing the same thing you've done for the last 20 years, you know, which a lot of people say like, well, this is what we've always done. I, I think you're having a disservice to your kids and your program by not, um, you know, trying to improve that and, and, and having that growth mindset. Sure. All right. Well, Troy, I appreciate your time and man, it's, it's, I've got a ton of notes to go through and, and read through again, but I did want to give you the opportunity or the opportunity to have an open mic. Is there anything else important about your program or the way that you coach that we didn't touch on that you'd like to leave uh, with the coaches listening? Um, you know, the, the, I would say ha- everybody talks about having fun, but truly, truly have fun with your kids and win or lose. You know, we had a ton of fun this year and I think it helped us. I mean, we, we were 17 and 15 was our final overall record. And people look at that like, wow, you guys weren't very good. Well, we had the number one strength of schedule in the four corners and the seventh overall toughest schedule in the country. And, but we celebrated and had fun. And, you know, after wins, we'd celebrate in the locker room with nobody around and, you know, we would dance and, you know, I, I was all, I'm always, I'm an old school coach where I'm like, act like you've been there before, act like you've done it before. And this year I kind of took a step back from that and let, let the kids, you know, within reason, you know, have their celebrations. And it, it, it just, it helped our relationship as a, as a program build and my relationship with the players, theirs towards me. Um, they weren't scared because they did see me doing the gritty in the locker room, you know, and dancing and, and, and having fun. And they see that other side of you. And, you know, and I know as an old school type coach, it was hard for me to do that. Um, but just have fun and, 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 you know, it's baseball, it's not life or death. It's, you know, it's a game for a reason. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, celebrate within reason and, keep it within your dugout. And, you know, I told my guys at all times, like if it stays in our dugout, you know, for us, 
you know, we could do whatever we want to do and celebrate, you know, but nothing should ever be directed towards another team or another coach and umpire, you know, worry about our dugout and we'll be fine. And we, I haven't had this much fun with a team um, in my coaching career. It was, it was a lot of fun and it was, you know, having that, that trust that, you know, to have fun with them and to celebrate and, you know, kind of let that guard down that, you know, coaches have about um, I'm the coach, you know, and there's a line between coaches and the players and, you know, jump into it head first and, and have fun and treat the kids like they're your own, like they're your own son. And that goes a long way. Thank you so much for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you would do us a huge favor, leave a rating or review wherever you are listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone and tag us on social media. That would help us so much with growing the show and helping others to stay ahead of the curve.